the book of Micah. I love the minor prophets. We will be done, Micah, probably about 2020. Um, no, no, no. I get excited. I'm not just preaching it because I think it in the morning. I think it throughout the whole weekend because Monday is a special day for me. Does anyone know the date Monday? January 15th, not 1972. It's 2018, but January 15th, right, 1972. Uh, That's how many now? 46 years ago. 46 years ago, exactly it was a Saturday night, so I don't know how it all works out. It might have been tonight, is when uh, I went in another room with uh, my friend and this Jewish believing man, and that night he started to read to me Isaiah chapter 53. And I pretty arrogantly said, yeah, I know that, because they had talked to me a lot about it. Then he started reading another prophecy to me. I said, yeah, yeah, I know that. And he didn't say it, but it was like he said, why are you here? And I said, I'd like to ask Yeshua into my heart, my life, 46 years ago. And I thought about it just this morning again. I think about it every year because aside from being born, that was the greatest day of my life. The chain, Fran was next. Uh, But anyway, um, but that changed everything. Changed the course of my life. Changed the course of eternity for me. It's so unbelievable to think that everything changed. Everything. And I'm just so thankful for it. I had no direction. I didn't know what I was doing. I was applying to pharmacy school. I was applying to med school. I was applying everywhere. I was playing football. I was running here. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. And then a little prayer on a Saturday night changed it all changed the course of my life. If I could think of my life as a a pinball machine, they don't have them anymore. Does anyone remember what a pinball machine was? You know, a little ball, bing, 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 bing. That was my life. That was my life. And then God made me a computer. No, 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 no. He, He gave me order. So January 15th, 1972, that's Monday. It's special to me. Uh, it's my spiritual birthday. And so if you have a physical birthday and you've never had a spiritual birthday, that's why we're here. We're here to build up the believers and we're here to tell the people in this left bubble the most important decision of your entire life, bar none, is what you're going to do with Yeshua. Do you put your trust in him? Do you believe in him? Do you receive him into your life? And then put him first and let everything else in your life be governed by that. Everything. Every single thought, desire, feeling has to be subject to what he wants. If it's not, you're going in the wrong direction, even if you're a believer. All right, forget the people in the left bubble. By the way, this does have to do with the message today. Anyway, everyone in the right bubble. If the Lord's not first in every aspect and every thought of your life, you're going in the wrong direction, you're in total chaos and confusion, and there's no rhyme or reason what's going to happen if God's not first. And trust me, you want him first. Now, you might have had bad upbringing and childhood, and so you're fearful of God. And the Bible, if you read the word and you get closer to God, you realize you don't have to fear him in a bad way. You fear him with respect and awe and reverence. But if you put him first, 
God wants to just pour out his blessings. He wants to order your life. Doesn't mean you won't have difficulties, but through the difficulties, he will take you through the fire. He doesn't always take you around and away from the fire, but he lets you go through it, holding you. With that, so, there's a principle in the scripture that God gave Israel um, 3,500 years ago to Moses when God uh, brought, uh, had Moses bring the Jewish people out of the land of Israel. And God, through Moses, he gave the Jewish people a law. He gave them the law. It's what we call the Mosaic Law. I teach, actually I was just asked this recently, someone said, How, why do you, do you tell people that we don't have to keep the Sabbath? And I said, I don't believe we are bound to the Sabbath. I think that was a law that was given to Israel for a specific time period to govern them, and that we're not under that anymore, but that was a specific time. Now there's principles we pull from that, so we should read it. It's very, very important that we read it and learn about God. Learn about man. Uh, Learn about our need for a Messiah. The law is the word of God. So you should read it. God put it in there for a reason. So we learn from history about Israel. And God's purpose and plans and working. That's why we read it. Are we bound to it? Well some people want to be bound to it. And so people usually who want to be bound under that law. They usually just come up with it. We have to keep kosher and we have to keep Shabbat. There were 611 other commandments. I never hear about those. I never hear about those. But there's principles to draw from it. Here's a principle that God gave Moses. He told the Jewish people, if you worship me, don't have any other idols. You keep my commandments and statutes and ordinances. And you are clear not to make the high places, not to build uh, idolatry uh, idols. You're not to worship other gods. And you are diligent to keep my commandments. Now people say, well, we should be keeping. No, no. You keep the commandments that God has given you for that time period. We don't, I don't keep the commandments God gave Adam. I don't keep the commandments God gave Cain and Abel. I don't keep the commandments God gave Noah. I learn from them, but I'm not bound to that. I can't. It's absurd. So we, we keep the commandments that God has given us more we see in the new covenant. So God told Israel, if you observe what I've told you, I will bless your lives. And it's amazing when you read the principles in the law, how God says, your cattle, no miscarriages. Your cattle just multiply. Your plants, they multiply. Your fruit, big, big fruit, and you can't even get too much. God says, I will bless every aspect of your life. Your wives, no miscarriages. Everything that you can imagine. God says, the hills and the valleys, the streams will overflow. They'll be full with water. The hills and the valleys, bring grass for the cattle. And I find God promised Israel, you do this, you'll be blessed. Everything in your life will be in order. Doesn't mean the enemy won't come and attack you. It's order. And it's peace. It's God's assurance. He promised. But on the other hand, he says, if you don't follow me, you don't observe my commandments and statutes and laws, and you don't worship me alone, and you worship idols, actually, there's two things that will happen. Actually, just one thing happens. Everything will, you'll lose. Everything will fall apart. Everything will be disarray. 
There'll be mayhem, confusion, difficulties in your life. The question, of course, we all say, well, where's it coming from? Well, I believe it comes from two sources. One, because it's just part of life. It'll happen to you. Everything will go wrong because you're not following God's order where he says you can be blessed. But second, I do believe God will send the punishment as well. God disciplines his children, just like we should be disciplining our children. So the principle, follow me, obey me, order, establish. In fact, the world will look at you in Israel, the world will look at Israel, what is it with this nation? We hate them, and we want to rise up and kill them, but we can't. Our weapons fall apart, our armies fall apart, everything goes wrong. That's what God wants to do. That's a principle God promised Israel. We, I see the principle for the nation of Israel. I see the principle for the individuals in Israel. God says, if you do this in your life, you'll be blessed. And I see this many times in the prophets. Some an individual wants to bless a prophet and do good by the prophet. There's one, one uh, story in Jeremiah where this one guy, a servant, uh, one of the servants, they were mistreating Jeremiah. So this servant went to the king, and he says to the king, they're not doing right by Jeremiah. He's going to die there. you got to save to the king. you got to let him come out. And the king says, all right, take Jeremiah out. So this servant goes with 30 men, pulls Jeremiah out of the pits, and he saves him. And then a little while later, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in to destroy the nation of Israel and kill everybody. And God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I saw that servant, that one. And so when the enemy comes in, destroys everyone, he won't be touched. I'm going to protect him. What am I saying? The nation, the individual, today, then, today, those who choose to order their lives properly, put God first. In every thought and action, God will set your life in order. Your enemies will not be able to rise up against you. Your enemies will be confounded. God will be your strength. So I find it for a nation, the principle. I find the principle uh, for all the individuals, even in the Old Covenant, I find it in our lives today. I do. I do believe with all my heart, I mean, I know we have trouble. You put God first in your life, every area, God will bless your life. God will fight against your enemies. God will set your life in order. If you put him first, I say it this way, be a fanatic. Don't be a wise fanatic. Be, you know, but serve God with all your heart. God will order your life. That, that's where we left off, actually, last week as we started the new year in this section. Read with me or follow along. Deuteronomy 15. It's the principle. You put God first, he will bless. It doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean tomorrow you hit the lottery. It doesn't mean tomorrow someone says, you're a very nice person, I'd like to give you a car. They might. You're a very nice person. You inherit this beautiful home. You're very nice. Doesn't mean just because you serve God with all your heart that all, everything is just going to be, but it will be in order and God will bless your life. Here, Deuteronomy, we ended Deuteronomy 30. Moses, about to die, says to the nation of Israel before they cross the Jordan with Joshua into the land, you're going to the land. God says, See, I've set before you today. Life and prosperity, blessings in your life. And death and adversity. Here's the good, here's the bad. It's before you. God gives us a choice. You know, my, one of my favorite statements. We make choices and 
choices make us. I find that's true most of life. You make choices, and the results will be because of those choices. And so that, that, that calls us to be a little disciplined for God. And he says, I set before you life and death, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, so that you may live and multiply. That, print, that was the law given to Israel, but it's a principle that we find throughout life. You follow God, you'll live and multiply and be blessed. He says that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're ending to possess it. Israel, you're going into the land. It's going to be prosperous and wonderful as long as you follow me. There'll be order and peace in your life. But if your heart turns away you, and you do not obey, and you're drawn away and you worship other gods. Now, you know, when we read that and we say we worship other gods, we sit back, I think, oh, <laughs> we're good. I don't worship any other gods. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we worship a lot of other gods. Anything you put before God, however small, yeah, you're worshiping another god. You put him first. It can be very, very small. We do it in little ways, and God understands. Sometimes we do it in bigger ways. But anything you put before him. I'll get to that in a minute. But he says, I have no idea where I am. Uh, okay, uh, join after other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will perish. And I expand perish to be you'll be miserable. You'll experience suffering, chaos, confusion, mayhem. Everything is wrong in your life when you don't put God in the right place. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. You're crossing over. Moses dying. Joshua taking him in. If you follow me, blessing. If you don't, everything falls apart. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. It's really scary at one point in the chapter in Deuteronomy where Moses is actually telling the people, You'll be blessed if you follow him. You'll be cursed if you don't. And then Moses sort of like says to them, oh, I feel sorry for you. Oh, he doesn't say it that way, but he does say, he said, while I'm with you, you're not following the Lord. When I die, who knows what's going to happen to you? You're going to turn away. So be on guard. And that's what God always does. He's, he's warning them. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death. It's your choice, folks. The blessing and the curse, the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, anyway. Um, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, obey his voice, hold fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to give to you, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We make choices, and our choices make our lives. So, the section now that I want to look at, the next couple weeks actually, probably won't finish it today as you can guess. But anyway, in, cha- in chapter 2 of the book of Micah, chapter 2 of the book of Micah, this is what I've summed up the first 11 verses, sort of like. We should choose God's ways. We see the principle and we see it actually in Micah 2. We should choose God's ways so you might experience God's blessing and avoid suffering and loss. Someone said to me, I think my wife once said to me, we don't want to choose God just for the blessing. We should choose God because we love him and worship him and want to. But God does give us an encouragement. If you do love me and worship me, I will bless you. 
So we make a choice to worship him. Love is a choice. Loving God is a choice. Doing things you don't want to. I'll tell you, very easy, as you always hear me say, here's how you can love God. If you get up at 6 o'clock every morning, get up at 5.45. I need that 15 minutes. All right? You need that 15 minutes? You could show God you love him by giving him those 15 minutes. That's an act. Love is an action. You wake up a little extra. Now, I know you're not all morning people, so you take an hour lunch, give up 15 minutes, and give it to God. At night, you go to sleep. I got to see that news and that movie and whatever. Give up 15 minutes and worship. That's, Lord, I love, that's why I'm doing it, because I love you. You make a choice. Um, some people say to me, well, you're being legalistic. Maybe. I'd rather be legalistic and say, God changed my heart and my attitude than not do it and wait for him to change. Do what God asks you to do. That's obedience. So, where am I here? We should choose God's ways. Uh, God will bless you, and you'll avoid suffering. Most of your suffering, maybe finances, maybe health, maybe your job, maybe your marriage, maybe your kids, it's not God's fault. Whose fault? We do it. Because we're not putting God first and doing and obeying what he says. Most of our suffering, our suffering, me included, is because we choose not to order our lives according to God's ways. If we follow God, our, now nobody can follow him perfect. There's only one person who ever followed God's will perfectly every step of the way, every second, every minute, for a whole life. The only one that ever lived. Yeshua, right. But I like to think that God has alternative plans for us. Then when we blow this one, he's got another one for us. We got another. None of us follow God's plan perfect. Only Yeshua did it. But if you order your ways in your lives, right, God will bless your life. I don't know how the blessing would have involved. He will bless your life. If you choose not, well, we have suffering and loss will come to us. It's a common principle in our life. So now we're in Micah chapter, and this is the prophets. This is the law. This is what Moses said to Israel. This is what Joshua said as he takes them in. This is what the prophets say. And really today I'm focusing a lot just on you make a choice for God, he will bless you. You make a choice for yourself, your own desires, and you'll suffer loss. You don't have to get mad at God. Get mad at yourself. Because most of the time, God will either allow it to happen in life or God brings it himself. Chapter 2 in the book of Micah. Last, uh, two weeks ago, I think, uh, we were looking at chapter 1. I do want you to write this down. There's a pattern. The Bible does this a lot. Uh, I heard Michael uh, speaking about this this morning. And, and the Bible does this. It repeats patterns constantly. And there's different patterns. And I find a pattern that we find in Micah find a pattern in the prophets, find it throughout scripture with the prophets usually because they're the ones proclaiming. You can write down these five words. In every book of the prophets, this is really what takes place. And you see it repeat sometimes in chapters, in the whole book. This, there's almost constant theme. First, the prophet says this. Look up here. Okay, he doesn't say look up here. I say look up here. <laughs> the prophet says Hear, listen, look up, 
That's what I'm saying. It's special. And the prophet, many times, he does, they could do it in a chapter. They could do it a few times in a, in a, a couple chapters. The first thing the prophet always does is listen. It's like he's ringing the cowbell. It's a, he's, he, please, everyone, look, I have something to say. The prophet always starts with hear or listen or look up here. The second thing, he, and the prophets are tough. You don't, and if I, was, if I just spoke like the prophet, probably we'd lose a lot of people. The second thing the prophet goes into is doom. He says, hear me. There's doom and gloom and suffering uh, if you turn away from God. He pronounces doom on the nation. That's what he does. But they do it repeatedly. It's patterns. He says, here, there's doom. It's sort of an open warning first. There's doom. After the doom, and I always love this because usually after the doom, you get the prophet's heart, his reaction. Jeremiah puts it this way, streams of water come down my eyes. Why? Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. Who's he weeping for? His people. The prophets, their hearts are broken. Isaiah, Micah, God says, take your shoes off. Walk, I'm not quite sure how naked it was, but God says be naked and barefoot and weep and mourn. Usually after the, the prophet says here, then he pronounces doom on his people. God doesn't want doom. So the prophet weeps and mourns. And that you usually see the prophet's reaction. That's the third thing. You hear, there's doom, there's a prophet's reaction, his heart. And that's our heart for his, God's people. We should be weeping... We should be weeping and mourning for the people in the left bubble who are lost. We should not look at their money. We should not, you know, the psalmist, Psalm 73, says, I looked at the rich and I was envious. I didn't like it. Everything they had was good. They were fat. Not this way. They were loaded. Everything was good for them. And the psalmist said in 73, I was envious. I was jealous. These people who hate God, he's blessing them. I don't get it. But so we should weep rather for the wealthy. Weep for them because the wealthier you are, the more things you have in life, the harder it is to get saved. It really is. Because they depend on that. They enjoy that. And usually, you don't want to pray for anyone to suffer. Loss, lose money, lose health. You don't want anyone to pray that. But when you lose your money and you lose your health and tragedy happens you might call out to God. Don't pray for their downfall. That's bad. Uh, but I pray that God would turn them gently to himself. So you should weep for them. I weep for the believers, the body of believers. I do. Not because you're going to heaven. You are. Not because you're going to experience God for all eternity in heaven. That's great. I'm so happy for anyone to be in heaven. But I weep and mourn for the believers that lives are just a waste. You waste this life. You don't experience God's blessings. You don't experience God's joy because we've not ordered our lives properly. The prophets react. He first, listen, everyone. That's what the prophets say. And most of the time, prophet of God is not listened to. They don't want to hear. Actually, we see a lot. We'll see it in the next two weeks. They tell the prophet, forgive me, I'm not allowed to say it, but shut up. I'm not allowed to say that word. Okay. Shaq it. Be quiet. Stop speaking. I don't want to hear what you have to say. 
All you do is say, we're going to have trouble. And when you say it, it happens. I don't want to hear that. So say nice things. Maybe they will happen if you say nice things. Actually, that's what Balaam said uh, uh, with Balak. Balak got Balaam. And he tells Balaam, say nice things so that we will beat these people. Balaam couldn't say nice things. He said, well, don't say anything at all then. Because what you say comes about. Usually the right prophets, they speak. Good things happen. Everyone, hear. These are the patterns we're going to see in the prophet Micah. Hear. Second, they pronounce doom. Third, you see their heart. The heart of God's people should be a heart of gratitude for what God has given you and given others, but should be a heart weeping for non-believers to come to faith, for believers to experience the blessings of God. You're in his family. You're going to heaven. Experience God's blessing now. Heaven can begin, and salvation should begin in this life, folks. It should. We should get a taste of God's goodness while we're here. Yeah, when we're when we're seeing, <laughs> yeah, I, I get blessed. Yeah, that's pretty nice. You know, they're spinning around. <laughs> anyway, we get blessed, and so weep for the believers. They're not being rejoicing and being blessed. Here, doom, prophet's reaction, warning. Then the prophet always comes out with a strong warning. You see, he always comes out with a warning. Again, the whole principle, like I said, do good, you'll be blessed. Do bad, you'll be cursed. Do good, everything will fall into place. Do bad, everything will fall apart. As a general rule, like I said, even if you're a believer and you're walking with God and he's blessing you, tragedy will happen. It always does. There must have been fear when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were approaching the sauna. There must have been fear there. God takes you through the sauna, through the burning flames. God takes you through that. The prophet pronounces warning among the people. Look out. Then, it's almost prophetic, the next thing the prophet did, what did he do? Uh, Hear, doom, his heart, warning. Then the next thing is, trust me, judgment is coming. He already knew. It's like, it's already here. It's coming. Yeah, it's definitely coming. Don't worry. It's, your judgment is going to come. Now, the attitude of the righteous said, even if God's judgment comes, I'm still going to serve him. But that's what he pronounces. Judgment will come. Judgment will follow. Look out. And the non-believer doesn't believe it and just lives his own life. The believer takes warning. Judgment. Fun. And then, believe it or not, he always does this. I would maybe say start with this. But he goes from here and doom, prophet's reaction, warning, judgment. And then how's the end? Anybody? Nobody? Hope. He gives you hope. Gives you the final picture of the kingdom, of the Messiah coming back, of the deliverer. He gives us hope. That's the order of his speaking. You could almost find it as we go through Micah. We see it in chapter 1, we're in chapter 2 now. You're going to see that develop. And he goes through that whole pattern. Chapter 1, we haven't got to anything yet. You're stuck there, okay. All right, amen, let's go. No, okay. Chapter 1, God, the prophet, first thing he said, listen, O Israel, hear, O Jerusalem. That's how he began in chapter 1. Chapter 1, Micah described the sins of the nation of Israel. 
And he did the same thing. He begins, here Israel, listen Israel, it's usually the beginning of a new section. Here Israel, he says, doom is going to come. Now you remember, because I'm not going there, remember Israel in this time was how many nations? Two. Good. Uh, there was no longer a United Kingdom. Now it was split in half. Two kingdoms. There was in the north, there was in the south. Israel was in the north, Judah was in the south. Israel had 19 kings, Judah had 20. Israel had no good kings, Judah had uh, 19, 20. 20 good kings. Um, so, he, I'm saying that. Yeah. so he, he's pronouncing judgment. In chapter 1, he's saying, the nation of Israel, here, listen, in the north, you're going to be judged. In the south, you're going to be judged. The sins in the north, you don't remember the history a little bit. When the kingdom was divided, the first king in Israel's history was a man by the name of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam said, I'm afraid all the people in the north, my kingdom, will revert and go back to the south. Why would they? Because the worship center in Jerusalem for God was in the south. So he was afraid after he got the kingdom, and that was... If you want dates, that was about 920. After he got the kingdom, he was afraid that all his people would rebel against him, kill him, and revert back to the king in the south. So what did he do? Two golden calves, he said. You don't need to go down to Jerusalem anymore. Now stay in the north. Let's enjoy our own self. Listen, you know the holiday that they have in the south? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Ah, Don't worry about it. That's all done in the seventh month. We'll do a new one in the eighth month. He, he replaced all the holidays. He says, ah, Levites, priests, um, and all the priests, ah, you don't have to be from the line of uh, Levi and Aaron. You know, don't, don't worry about that. I'll make anyone you want to be a priest. This is how the north started. This is what Jeroboam did. New month, eighth month. New priests, new Levites. Don't have to go to Jerusalem. Stay here. I'll do it for you. Instead of that long trek down to Jerusalem, stay up here in the north, and I'll give two centers of worship for you. He made one in Bethel and one as far as Dan. Now, let me just tell you, I always love it. One of my favorite places to go in Israel, not because it was idolatrous and horrible, but I love going north all the way to Dan. It's the top. Right from Dan, you could see uh, Lebanon. You can see Syria. It's really, really a great spot where you actually see where they built the altar. You actually see where Jeroboam said, worship here in this town of Dan up in the north. You actually see where Ahab made a high place right up there. And that's in the north. So the 920, uh, 920 to 720, 200 years The worship center in the north was a town called Bethel, close to Jerusalem, and as far as Dan. So everyone in the north, they didn't have to go down there. They they had a whole new worship system, which God said, what are they doing? I just warned them, don't do this. So they made idols, they made new priests, they made a new place of worship. In the north, their biggest sin was always the first king, Jeroboam, made two worship centers. Bethel, and Dan. Everyone say him. That was their two worship centers. And God held it against them for 200 years. Every king after Jeroboam, every king all the way down, was considered wrong and evil, and it always says, how would you like this? They followed in the footsteps of Jeremiah the king. They always did sin and evil. Because, they've, because the leader leads them astray or takes them to God. The good kings, it says, were always like David who took them to God. 
The bad kings always like Jeroboam and took them away from God. Israel in the north. God condemns the, in chapter 1, first, Micah says, here. Second, doom. But unfortunately, he says doom to north and south. North, because you went from Bethel and Dan, made false priests, new holidays. God is going to judge you. And God said that way back with Moses all the time. As long as you do this, God is going to judge you. God knew it. In the south, God says, God's going to judge you too, the south. You had some good kings, but your bad kings followed in the steps of the kings of Israel. Not a good king. Not a good king in Israel. So in chapter 1, you hear the prophet say, uh, listen everyone, north and south. Now, in the north, you should always remember this. The north was what country? Do you know the capital? Samaria. They, they're synonymous. In the north, you always hear, Israel's sin was Samaria. That was, that was their capital. Now, specifically, you know, it was in two centers, which was Bethel. Oh, I'm confusing you. Okay. Bethel and Dan. But the capital of Israel was Samaria. And so in chapter 1, Micah says, Israel, your sin is Samaria. That's where all the kings were. Judah, your sin was, uh, I'm sorry, Jerusalem. Yeah, Judah, your sin was Jerusalem. So in chapter 1, the prophet says, listen, north and south. He pronounces doom to the north and the south. You should always know, and you should always have, with all the dates, you should know one date for sure. Israel was taken captive in the year 722 BCE. That was the downfall of Israel. That's when the 10 tribes of Israel were lost. Never to come back. Maybe in a mixture they came back, back in a different time. Certainly 1948. But Israel was gone. The 10 lost tribes, 722, Israel in the north. In the south, 150 years later, they existed till 586. Remember those two dates you should remember. Others, maybe not so important. This is dates. So God pronounces doom in the north. Not yet. Although Micah was preaching just about 30 years before that actually happened. And he was saying to Israel, doom. He was saying to the south, there's doom coming. Micah's heart and reaction in chapter 1, he wept and cried for his people. That's what our reaction should be. Weeping and crying for our people. When, uh, what is it, Stephen got stoned. Was it Stephen got stoned, the first martyr? I always get mixed up with Stephen. Yeah, Stephen got stoned. What did he say? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. The, the, the heart of the God's servant should be like Yeshua. Don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. Turn them back. That's the heart. Chapter 1, he pronounced that. He pronounced the doom. We saw his reaction. He warned them, you can hold it off by following God. He said, the judgment is coming. The judgment is coming. Micah didn't tell them 722 and 586. We know it. Actually, the judgment for Israel was a third date, too. You should always remember. Uh, it was 722 in the north, 586 in the south, and 70, the whole nation, off for 2,000 years until 1948 when God had the Romans come in. Doom. He's warning them. His, you see his heart. You see his warning. You see the judgment. And then he always gives hope. Always hope. That's really chapter one, is the nation's sin. Chapter two, he said, don't worry, 
I'm going to stop at a good time, so we'll continue next week. Don't worry. But I want you to get the background. It's so important that you understand where we are. You know when he's preaching is somewhere in the 8th century BCE, between 700 and 800 BCE. Israel's history of the divided kingdom began 200 years before that in 922. 700 to 800 before Messiah. This is when Micah, this is when Isaiah, this is when Hosea is preaching. When the, when the nation is prosperous and doing well. He's saying, but it's, you've turned from God, doom and judgment. And that's, now we get to chapter 2. And Micah is very orderly. When you study it, you see first he deals with the nation. Now chapter 2, he says, this is the nation. Chapter 2, you individuals. He first deals with the whole nation that will suffer. Now in chapter 2, here we are in chapter 2. The sin of the people. The sin of the people. Uh, God, we see the specific sin in chapter 2. He deals in the first couple verses, actually for these first 11 verses, Micah is specifically speaking about the leaders, the people in position, the people who are privileged, the people with power. He's, pre- he's preaching to all those that are taking advantage. Micah and many of the prophets are very, very concerned with the social well-being of the people. They are very, very much, because God had always told Moses and throughout the law and the prophets, God always said, consider the poor, the downhearted, the depressed. Actually, what you know what God is saying, consider others before yourself. Chapter 2 is Micah's rebuke about the people considering themselves, not the other people and not God. He's rebuking the leader specifically. But I find it applies to all of us. Because sometimes as I was reading through, I was saying to myself, some of you are going to, well, I'm not a leader. That's for those people. They got the power. They got the position. They got the money. That's for all of them. And I find that while we're condemning all those who are rich and wealthy and position and power and privilege, which we say, that would never be me. But if we get the power position, the money, and all that, it is you. That's what we do. We don't think so. But it happens to all of us. We think we're, God tells the Jew, uh, Yeshua says, don't commit adultery. Well, that's good. I'll never do that. What's Yeshua say? Well, if you think it, you've done it. What he's really saying is, even though you don't think you would go that way, given the opportunity, you go that way. So when I'm condemning, condemning the rich, that's just because you haven't had a chance. Because God hasn't chosen to give us the money. But, but your attitude and your heart is what really counts. And he's, he's speaking specifically, you can write this down still. He says, against evil desires, the rich, the powerful, the privileged, the position, they, they have it all and they want more. It's not enough to have it, they want more. Uh, their desires... And this is important for this chapter. Everyone, their desires are not for God. Their desires are for first themselves. And I'm going to step on all of our toes, mine included. Their desires are not for God first. Though we sit here on a Saturday morning, our desires are not always for God first. Second, he tells them the evil people and the leaders, they are greedy. None of us are greedy. We're good. We're never greedy about anything. I find the more I get, the more I want. It's never, not, it's never enough. Actually, uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes. It says, the more you get, 
the more people are there to take from you, and you want more and more and more. It never stops. And so this chapter, he's going to condemn their evil desires, their evil greed. And I said to myself, I don't want any of us to sit here and say, I don't have evil desires. I'm not greedy. Yes, you are. Yeah, we all are. He says, their leaders want to possess more and more and more. It's never enough. They asked Rockefeller years ago, how much more do you need? Rockefeller's answer, a little more. Always a little more. It's never enough. And so, evil possessions, evil greed, evil desires, coveting. We covet, we want what others have. We're not content with the grass on our own side. We want that other grass. We want what everything, everyone else has. We're not actually, and these leaders, we're not happy for others. Do you find yourself, when someone else gets blessed, I'll make it even harder, when those who don't like you and those who are your enemies get blessed, what's our prayer? Lord, get it away from them quick. They don't deserve it. I do. They don't. And so we're not always happy. We should be. It's a hard thing. I've tried to discipline myself. I've tried to ask for God to bless you all. But then there's people in the movement and throughout the world who've always been against me, who fight against me, who want to see my downfall. God blesses them. And I have to force myself to say the words, even though I don't mean them. Lord, good, keep blessing them. I don't mean it, but keep blessing them, Lord, you know. But I admit it to God. I said, my real feeling, I don't want you to, but I'm supposed to say it. So, okay, bless them anyway, Lord. Truly bless them. God honors that and loves when you say that. You're not the ones to deal with them. God will deal with them. Want good. The leaders here wanted bad. And I really struggled this week with trying to how to convey this because you don't sit there and say actively, outwardly, I want bad. Sometimes inwardly we are thinking that. Follow along here. Uh, Follow along. The sin of God's people. The first thing I said here, and I wasn't quite sure how to phrase them, don't plan... Don't scheme, really, is what it says. You'll see. Don't plan or desire wrong things. Now, I'll explain this as we go along. We desire and we plan and we scheme, and I put it this way, for wrong things that are for ourselves and not for God. We want. We plan. How do we get it? Let me ask you this question. What do you hope for and think about and one throughout your day, throughout your life. What would you like? Oh, yeah, that's a nice spiritual godly answer. The Lord knows if you mean it, but that's okay. Um, that's a good one, right? But it's not so easy for us to say, I want what God wants for me. So I plan. Who hasn't dreamed about Powerball? Can you imagine? What is it? Four, five hundred wouldn't it be nice, folks? Lord, you could do, he could do that tomorrow. We could, or we conceive or plan or think of other schemes. How we could make a little bit more. How we can get ahead. How we can become a leader. How we can get possessions. How we can get a place of privilege and power. 
I catch myself thinking of the wrong things. I always think, how about if I invest? How much could that grow, Lord? Boy, what I could do with that would be nice. See, we plan and scheme for the wrong things. We don't plan and scheme for God. That's the, you wake up in the morning, throughout the day, and at night start saying, let me plan and scheme what are the good things for, that we could do for God. No. We think of the wrong things. That's what these people were doing. They were thinking of things. They were, I have it down here. That possessions, power, position, money, riches, lottery, parties, drinking and parties and fun. We, I do. I like it. Let's plan for fun. You see me up here dancing like a fool. I like to have fun. And I plan on it. But what should we be? But these people planned and thought and desired evil things, the wrong things. We don't call it evil, but if it's not for God, it is. Follow along here in chapter 2, verse 1. Don't, uh, where we said, don't plan or desire wrong things. Uh, Micah condemns these people. Woe to those who scheme iniquity. That's just what I'm saying here. Woe to those who are thinking the wrong things. We don't say, I wouldn't scheme iniquity. Yeah, we do. We're scheming for the wrong things. Remember, anything that replaces God is an idol. Those who say, well, I want a little of God and a little of the world. I want some of both. I'll be happy if I can have the world and God. And remember, I've said this before, half-hearted commitment to God is total commitment to idolatry. There's no halfway. Larry, you're asking too much. That's what God asked for us. It's hard to get to that point. But here it says they were scheming. Those who scheme iniquity, who work evil on their beds, they think about it. How, what? It's our thoughts. What are our thoughts as we occupy our day? Do we have the good and right thoughts? They scheme in their bed. And in the morning, when they have the power, they do it. That's what he's saying. And it's probably speaking about the rich, the powerful, those with privilege in Israel. Uh, those with position, but I find that we don't do it, but we do it on a smaller scale. And if we had the opportunity, I'm not so sure we wouldn't be doing it. It's our heart that counts. We are all guilty, I believe. We think that if, if we think, I do like uh, people, I love this. Someone says, if I hit the lot, I'll tell you what I would do. I hear this all the time. I would build a building for Shuva. Yeah, right. Yeah, you'd build a building for Shuva. I would find all those here who are really need. I'd build a home for this one, a car for this one. You'd do nothing like that. You'd invest it and get more for yourself. We just never get that chance. That's the problem. Because God knows who to give it to and who not to give it to. Um, here's, here's a good prayer. I used to pray this. I don't pray too much anymore. Here's a good prayer. Lord, keep riches from me if they will keep me from you. God knows if it would. You think it gives me riches. I'll be nice. I'm a good person. I will care for the sick. I will take care of the need. I will do that. Lord, and I did prayer. I pray that. I tell the Lord. I've said many times, Lord, keep riches from me if they will keep me from you. Maybe I shouldn't say this next one, but I said, Lord, keep women from me if they would take me from you. 
don't have them flatter me or say compliments to me. Maybe the Lord's answer to me that because no one ever comes near me. No one ever. <laughs> That's a good prayer. And so, Lord, keep looks and the flirtations. Keep that from me because that will destroy your life. You have to have the right desire. Don't crave and plan and scheme. Keep these things from me. God warns us, Proverbs 4, do not enter into the path of the wicked. See, I, I, I struggle. I struggle with the words here sometimes because I know what God means. Don't go into the path of the wicked, it says. Well, all of us. How many of you would go into the path of the wicked? I wouldn't. You know, who would? That's so obvious, but it's not always so obvious. The people who are wicked. He's saying, don't go into the path of those who want and crave and desire the wrong and evil things that are not for God. Don't go to the path, actually put it, don't go to the path that everyone else is going. Don't go to the path that the world tells you to go. You deserve a break today. You deserve good things today. You deserve nothing except what God chooses to give you. Everything is grace. Everything. Don't go buy into that theory that you, I, I love when something good happens and someone says, oh, you deserve it. And Michael Redalek and me always say to each other, we know what we deserve. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve that. God is gracious. Don't go to the path of the, what the world's telling you, what the TV tells you, what the commercials tell you, what the movies tell you. It's all the opposite of God. And, the, and the, we get the warning in Proverbs don't proceed in the path of the wicked, the way of the world, the others. Don't proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Lord, don't give me the opportunity. Oh, I should have wrote it down. I think a famous preacher, Adam Robinson, said, Lord, when I have the opportunity, don't give me the inclination. And when I have the inclination, don't give me the opportunity. That one, right? I have no idea what I just said. Anyway, <laughs> write it down. Um, avoid it. Don't pass by. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep. The rest of the world, they can't sleep unless they do evil. Our minds, our thoughts are consumed with how we can make more money, how we can be have a better life, how we can do these things. That because then, if I do, I will give to God. Not true very, very unlikely. There are some, I've heard of the cases, from the famous case years ago, R.D. Letourneau, whatever it is, one of the famous, famous uh, wealthy men. I think he was from Philadelphia. But he said, Lord, you increase my wealth, I increase what I give to you. And he was able to eventually give 90% to God and took 10% for himself, which was pretty good. He was a multi, multi-millionaire, not, not billions back then. But you know what we say? We really, we, we, it's just not right. Letourneau used to say, Lord, you give me money, a lot. I'll give you more and more. So God gave him money, and he gave 90% of his money to God. I don't know how much it was, but I'm going to just throw a figure out. Say he got $100 million, and he gave God $90 million. And you know what our thought is, everyone? <laughs> I could live on $10 million, no problem. But we wouldn't. We wouldn't choose. This man, God gives, but we crave. We want more. 
And so don't go in the way of the evil. They sleep, where was I? Yeah, okay. They sleep unless they do evil. They're robbed unless, uh, of sleep unless they make someone else stumble. That's what we do in little ways, little comments, little criticisms. Unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Proverbs 4, verse uh, 16. Or 18. But the path of the righteous, our attitude is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't understand. Uh, they don't know what they stumble over. Listen, let me tell you this way. We are called to plan, scheme, and devise. We are. There is a verse that tells you to do that. And you should be doing it this morning, and you should do, be doing it each day. Write it down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer to the Hebrews, everyone look up here. (laughs) Next I'm going to pronounce doom. No, look up here. The writer to the Hebrews says this. He says, let us consider. The word there, consider, is to ponder, think, plan, and scheme. Now, I used to play Saturday morning football uh, when I was younger. I used to play Saturday morning football when I was in my 20s, or early 20s. And I found on Saturday, after playing, that I usually thought there was a part of my body that was broken. By the end of Saturday, I was convinced either my foot, arm, something was broken. Sunday morning, I would wake up, and I found out and realized it wasn't broken, but it's bad, and I can't move. And Monday... I started being able to move a little bit better. And Tuesday, I started planning and conceiving the different plays. I, did, I used to do it here when we played on Thanksgiving. Can't do that anymore. But I used to plan, and after the game, I started planning and conceiving for the next year. What I could do to be, get better, uh, to, to, uh, to be a better quarterback or whatever. And I used to plan. And by Wednesday and Thursday, I had all my plans lined up. I was planning. I was scheming. God tells us, you and I as believers, we are called to plan and scheme. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider, plan, ponder, scheme. And then it says this, how to provoke. Look up here. We are great provokers. We know how to provoke each other. We know just the word, the dig, the thought. We know how. You know, a lot of times people say, and I say this, I don't say it to them. People say certain things to me. And I feel like saying, why did you just say that? For what reason or purpose did you? I know why they said it. And Francis, don't say it. Don't go there. Because I know why they said it. To give a little dig. To do a little provoking. That's what we did. When we're athletes, you, know, you learn how to provoke each other, to get the other person riled up so they'll do worse, and they get mad, and they can't think. That's what we used to do, whatever, in football or golf or whatever. You know how to provoke. You and I as believers, we are called, it says, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider, ponder, think, dwell, how to provoke each other. That's what you should be doing Saturday morning. How could I come to Shuva and provoke Larry? Well, there's plenty of ways. Fran used to say to me, well, you get Saturday's a weak point for me when I go home. I'm just all spent from running and screaming. And, and, we do it. and Fran used to sometimes joke with me. She goes, you know, I could get you mad just like, just like that. I said, oh, no, no, I'm good. No, you could. One word and I can get you so on, or just like that. And I said, yeah, yeah, try it. 
I used to say that. Just like that, I'll get you upset. Try it. So she would say something, and I, I exploded. I was so upset. She knew just what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Now she says, I could get you upset just like that. And I say, don't say it. Anyway, because I'm not going there. She's proved her point. You and I are called to think, dwell, ponder, consider, plan, scheme, how to provoke each other. Hebrews 10.24 says, to what? Love and good deeds. That's what you're called to do. You are called, and the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, the whole book is a book of encouragement. We are called to encourage each other. And the writer to the Hebrews, whoever that might be, we're not arguing. I know who it is. You don't. I'll tell you later. Anyway, the book of Hebrews tells you how to provoke one another here, your friends, your neighbors, everybody, how to provoke them to love other people. How to provoke other people to do love and good deeds. You should be coming to Shuva to say, what could I do for God today? to help my fellow brothers. and That's your scheming, folks. Your scheming should be how to get closer to God, how to love other people, how to provoke them to do love and good deeds, how to be an encourager. You are called to scheme for the good things of God, not for yourself. These people, the point of Micah 2 here is they are scheming and planning and conniving and greedy and covetous, for their own things, not for God's. And we have to think about that. Go follow along. Uh, where was I? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the sin of God's people. Let me see here. Yeah. Okay. Let me write, read the verse here. Don't covet, take, or want. If you want to know the difference between A and B, A was don't plan on the evil. B, don't do it. Don't covet, take, want, or desire what you shouldn't be desiring. Now, I can tell you, uh, the fall of 19, no, the fall of 2006, we were meeting in another building on that street. Was it Orange, not Orange Street. What was the, what was the street? What was that? Irvine Center Drive, right, right. That was Orange Center Drive in Irvine. Yeah, yeah, it was Orange Center. No, okay. We were meeting a mile and a half from here. And we were there for a while. I was looking for a new place. We were growing. And we, I was looking for a new place. And so one day I went to my doctor's office, which is across the parking lot here. And I went into that office over there. I think it's 4950, whatever it is. I went in there and I looked across the parking lot and I saw this building. And I think the building was recently built. And I looked at it, and it looked neutral. It looked beautiful. The outside was so nice, little semicircle. And I said, boy, this is very nice. I wonder what it's like. Because I'm always looking for new property that's conducive for us, that, that fits well. So I, I saw this building, and I worked out a time when I could walk in. Because it was a Tuesday morning. I remember for a reason. I walked in because I wanted to talk to the pastor and ask him if there was a possibility if we could come in here and we could share their facility. Now, it's always hard, you know, to walk in. Can I share your house? Can I bring in 300 people that are going to destroy everything in sight? 
bring their coffee and their food and step on your carpet and ruin your place. You know, that's not easy to walk in and say that. And so I walked in. And I remember that day because I was walking in and you see the lobby there and there's a a window there for the secretary behind it. And I remember saying, Lord, let me come in and whatever it is, don't let me see a secretary. And I walked in and there's the secretary sitting right there. And as I see the secretary, I I explain, like she's listening. I said, I'm looking for a new facility to rent and ruin and destroy your whole place. I'm looking for a new place to meet for my people. And so uh, we're a messianic group. And so she says, do you have a card? That's a very nice, you know, positive thought, which is the worst thought in the world. Anyway, do you have a card? And he said, well, to my car, I'll bring it back in. She goes, well, I'm not going to be here. I have to go. I have a meeting. And so, but when you do, can you just leave it on my desk? This is not a promising app, no. You have a card, leave it on my desk. Trust me, as soon as you leave, I will throw it in the trash. Don't worry about it. Anyway, so I walk in, back with my card. She's not there. I open the sliding thing. I put it on the desk, and I'm standing there, just nothing. And all of a sudden, the assistant, uh, uh, the youth guy, uh, you there, Frank? Uh, Frank here? No, I... Yeah, he was here this morning anyway. The assistant uh, leader uh, walks by. He says, can I help you? I said, well, yeah, I just saw the secretary. She told me to leave this card. We're a messianic group. We, uh, we're looking for a new facility. He looks at me. He goes, messianic? I said, oh, you're familiar with messianic? He goes, yeah, yeah, I know the messianic group. I said, oh, good. Well, we have a facility right near here, and we meet there every Saturday morning, and we're looking for a new facility to be able to do our ministry. And I explained all about chosen people. I explained about Shuvi Israel. I explained everything to him. And he and I get it off like we're best friends. I, he was young, young then. Anyway, no, 10 years ago. He's about 40 or so. Or, anyway, and so we're sharing, and we became very good friends. He goes, well, I have a meeting right now. That's where the secretary is going, with the staff. And he says, and I'm going to take your message and tell, tell the whole group about you. And so maybe you can meet with me and the real pastor. I'm just an assistant youth guy. I'm nothing. And there's a Filipino pastor. Maybe you can meet with us. He says, I'll talk to them and we'll call you back. Don't call us. We'll call you. (laughs) And so he left and I looked at that lobby and I looked at this place. And let me tell you, folks, I coveted like no one ever coveted before. (laughs) I said, oh, Lord, we must have this place. I coveted. I did. And, you know, the right attitude, maybe I squeezed it in there somewhere. Lord, if that's the place for us, can you give it to us? And that was my prayer. And that's what I think we need to say as we go into chapter 2. We can't covet, we can't think of greed, we can't scheme and plan. We scheme and plan for God, for God's things. And the simple prayer, the godly prayer would have been, Lord, I commit that building to you. If you want us to have it, you will, no problem, you're first. What chapter 2 he's condemning here is evil desires and greed, and coveting, and wanting, and desiring. It's okay to want some things. 
as long as we want God first. Chapter, two, chapter 1 condemns the nation. Chapter 2, this is, let me sum it up. Want God and God only. Connive, plan, scheme how you can get closer to God. How you can be a better servant of the Lord. How you can serve God through his congregation. Want God alone and not the things of the world. Let's close today with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for, for the message Mike is giving to his people. We pray, Lord, right now that you would put it upon our hearts that we might plan and scheme and desire you above all things, you first. Can we have that feeling and that thought and that desire that it's all you and anything you choose to give us, that's from you as well. And we will praise you and worship you for it. So we pray, Lord, guide and direct our thoughts, our feelings. Help us to want you and not the things of this world. We commit this time to you and thank you for it in Yeshua's name. Amen.